Just going to talk about really one verse, but we're going to see that this verse really reaches into um, our, our lives completely. Of course, this is Father's Day, so I want to say Happy Father's Day to to all of you dads out there. Um, anyone excited that it's Father's Day? Yes. Anybody excited about the break you're going to get after church today when you can put your feet up and you can say it's Father's Day? And what break? Um, I just gave you one, man. I gave you a chance. It's up to you to seize it. So I just want to kind of tell you about what happened this past week. Um, typically, after uh, youth camp, we kind of bring the kids up here and and usually, and it's kind of like this year after year, we bring the kids up and two of them want to talk and they're excited and they give some really clear things about what God did. And then everybody else sits like this, um, nervous, and then it's their time to talk and they get like the big eyes and they're like, can't wait for the microphone to pass to the next person. So what we decided, and really I decided this for them, um, what I decided was, you know, what, we're not just going to talk about what happened at camp, we're going to show you what happened at camp. And what I mean by that is this. The students, I gave them, really it became the, the one question. I love questions. I think when you ask a good question, it gets to the bottom of things. And I asked them one question particularly, and I said, is, the, is youth ministry and youth activities, I said, is it more of a playroom mentality or a war room mentality? And every one of them, like in unison, like we were a student choir, all of them said, what'd you say? Playroom. Playroom. They're like that. Th- those were the words that identify, in their mind, that is what identified our student ministry. And I became so burdened with that. And actually the burden is not over. It hasn't been resolved. And the tension is like, good grief. They recognize this. How in the world could I have led them to this? So the all of the adult leaders, and you see a couple of them that actually the two were at, that were at camp all have camp shirts on. I'm the oddball. I don't have a camp shirt on. Uh, I have my dad's shirt on. That's what I have on today. Um, so, uh, but we just had this amazing experience at camp. And, and what we decided was that our youth group is no longer going to have the playroom mentality. Instead, it's going to have a war room mentality. And what we mean is this, that we're going to gather together all of us gathering, and we are going to be on mission to equip, encourage, and to send out our students to push back the darkness in our families, push back the darkness in our schools, and push back the darkness in our communities. And we are no longer content with status quo. Right, guys? That's what we decided. And I had a couple student leaders who really stepped up, one of which is Jeremy Wilkins. He's right here. He is like a foot taller than me, but, uh, but he is a student leader and just really on fire for the Lord. And, and, you know, that was great. But the very best thing that happened at camp, the very best thing, is we had three of our students give their life to Christ. Three. Yeah. And, and what is amazing is actually we have two of them in the room right now. Um, who are students right here, gave their life to Jesus. And I'm just so excited about what the future holds for, for you two. And that was the very best thing at camp. It, your eternity was changed when you committed to Christ. And now uh, we'll get to baptize them and we get to just teach them and equip them and send them out to do the kingdom work. And that's really what they're uh, going to be on mission to do. And then it, it really made me start thinking about what we experienced at camp and really the, the playroom war room kind of mentality, but really what challenged me to a deep level is really every Christian home should have this kind of mentality too. I don't know who said it or else I'd give him credit, 
Uh, don't tweet it, Instagram it, Facebook it, that I said it, but if somebody else said it, I'm just borrowing their words. But it was said that every Christian home is an outpost for the gospel. That every Christian home is an outpost for the gospel, meaning that an outpost of the kingdom of God, extending the kingdom of God into the dark places, extending the light of Christ into dark places, in our homes, in our workplaces, in our schools, and in our communities. That every Christian home is not just a a safe haven where we come in and do whatever it is that we want. That it should be everyone working to be on mission for Jesus and that you would come together, equip and encourage and send each one of our family members out to do the mission work of God. That's what the Christian home is about. So as we just kind of jump into this topic today and what you're going to see in Ephesians 6, is you're going to see one verse, but it's incredibly challenging. And as challenging as it's going to be for you, I tell you it was even more challenging for those who received it. But I want to also kind of jump into, into this with, with just kind of telling a story. Um, I just have to see who's here first. Uh, do I have any master gardeners in the room? Like master gardener, like you've taken the class. Like I, I know, like good. If you're not a master gardener, good. I'm going to like pick on master gardeners. I love you in Jesus' name. Um, but but if you may be good at that, but I'm talking about like master gardeners. Uh, over the course of, of our marital years, we've bought two homes. And both homes have been right next to master gardeners. Do you know the pressure that puts on me? Now, for me, it's like I live right in it, right. I still live right next door to a master gardener. But the very first home that Marla and I bought, we lived right next door to a master gardener. And their yard was awesome. And they, they had all of the flowers, but they had also the little placards all around what they were called. And it was like, good griefs. Like you, I mean, really, I mean, they were sweet people. They were Christians. I mean, it was great. But there was like so much pressure. I'll tell you how, how much pressure I had on me is my next door neighbor actually won like the Garden Club Award for the year. Yeah. So they said they would like come over and like the Garden Club. I don't even know what that is, but they would like go house to house and then they would kind of grade each other on, on everyone's yards. But if you were in the Garden Club, that means you also had to already have a garden. So it wasn't like me and be like, roses are red, violets are blue. You know, I mean, it was like very particular. They knew what it was, but the person won. Now, I think I didn't get any credit for this, but I think I should have at least gotten a participation award or something. I didn't get any credit. But you see, I think I set her up for success because when the people got out of the car at the garden club, they, they had to have looked at my yard, which was cut most of the time, some of the time, whenever I wanted to be cut. And then you look at her yard, and I think I made her yard look really, really good. So I think I should at least get an assist or something in that. And, and then we bought a house here in Dublin, and my next-door neighbor also, he's, like an, he's a brilliant-minded person and then like went back to school just because he wanted to learn gardening. He's that guy, you know? And I'm like, and I'm not that guy. I like, I barely cut my grass, and the best time of the year is when it's brown and dead. I don't have to cut it as often, you know? I mean, that, that's kind of my story. Don't judge me. But it's just real talk. And so it's like so much pressure, and yet what I notice is there's so much care that goes into it, and it's just not care that I'm willing to leverage and time that I'm willing to leverage for it. But it takes so much time to develop a garden. I ran across this quote that really connects with this, and this is from a a preacher by the name of Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. He said this, if parents, 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 he said if parents gave as much thought to the rearing of their children as they do to the rearing of animals 
and flowers, the world would be a different place. Man, I tell you, as soon as I, I saw that, I was like, man, I think that is so true. I think there's so much potential in our young people. There's so much potential in our kids. I think, I think us as parents, if we would start to embrace our responsibility and understand that every Christian home is an outpost for the gospel, that that's our primary responsibility. I think if we would, instead of devoting all our time to, to things that make no difference for the kingdom of God and flowers and all that. I mean, you guys can love flowers. I'm not judging you. But, but I, it just goes without saying, really, doesn't it? That if we would actually pay that much attention to the rearing of our kids as we do all of the other peripheral things in life, if we did that, the world would be at a better place. And one thing, too, our kids would have less regrets. And I believe they would even have less regrets than what we have. And yet one thing I'm absolutely positive about is that complacent parenting will not lead to courageous kids. Complacent parenting will not lead to courageous kids. If you're a follower of Christ, you should be bringing your kids up in such a way where you release them into dark places that you, that you just, it just goes without saying that they should go on a missions trip, that they should be doing local mission work, outreach work, that they'd be serving their community, that, that they would come home and then they would be equipped to then go into their schools to share Jesus. But, but if I'm really honest, and I'm not picking on anyone in particular, but I know this because of, of the pastoral work that I've been in for 12 years, Parents are complacent. They are. They're complacent. And they get caught up in peripheral things, things that make no difference for eternity. And we get so caught up in, in, in saying yes to our boss, but saying no to our kids. We get so caught up in, in, in saying yes to our hobby, but saying no to our kids. And, and you know, the very best thing that you can give Fathers, mothers, the very best thing that you can give your kids is a father or mother who's pursuing Jesus Christ. That's the best thing you can give them. It's not a trinket. It's not a toy. It's not a trip. It's not new shoes. It's not clothes. It's a, mo- it's a mother or father who is pursuing Jesus Christ fervently. That's what we should be longing after. But if if we're complacent in our parenting, it, it never leads to courageous kids. It never leads to, to the kids we're the most proud of. It never leads to kids who, would, who, who, as they become adults and we release them into adulthood, if you're complacent in your parenting, it never leads us to sit back and say, you know what, man, my kids are on fire for Jesus. It just doesn't lead there. So a question that I want us to wrestle with before we get to the text is this. Am I sacrificing my kids' long-term growth for my short-term comfort? Am I sacrificing, parents, dads, ask yourself this question. Am I sacrificing my kids' long-term growth for my short-term comfort? Because apathy always comes easy. If you're, if you're complacent, you're already apathetic. So you have to ask yourself the question. This isn't just a one-time question. It's Father's Day, so now this message comes around. This is a question you should be continually asking yourself. 
Because as your, your kids go through the different stages of life, they have different needs and the needs of your parenting changes. So you always have to go back to and be tethered to Jesus and ask this, this simple question, but yet incredibly profound. Am I sacrificing my kids' long-term growth for my short-term comfort? Tough question. Well, we're in Ephesians actually for the third week in a row, so I'm not going to give you a big introduction into the text. But you can kind of find your way into Ephesians 6 if you're not already there. And I'm not going to give you a big uh, introduction into what it is because uh, one uh, of our elders, Tim Brierley, gave a message two weeks ago out of Ephesians, and he told you of some. One of our deacons, Shane Preston, gave a great message last week on grace, and that was out of Ephesians So I'm not going to belabor the point. I will tell you one little nugget that they did not tell you. Ephesians has six chapters. And it's so convenient how God placed those six chapters because the first three of those chapters could be kind of classified as identity in Christ. Like who you are in Christ. And the last four, uh, chapter four, five, and six, are really unity in Christ. So it talks about identity in Christ, okay, who I am in Christ, but also the, the last three chapters talk about how you fit into the body of Christ and really how your family, if it's living on mission for Jesus, how your family should operate. So there's instructions there for, for parents. There's instructions there for husbands and wives. I just, if you kind of want to know, man, what, what does God require of me as a husband or wife? Man, go into Ephesians 5, and, and there's just such good stuff there. But also there's some instructions just for kids, so students, Listen up, just some instructions for you. It'd be a good place for you to start. But we're going to start in Ephesians 6, 4. This one simple but yet so far-reaching verse. And this is what it says. Fathers, it could also be translated fathers and mothers, by the way. This Greek word has kind of a difficulty in translating. But my Bible says fathers, so that's what you're getting. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And before you think, well, I'm not doing that, we're going to get to maybe some areas that that you may and don't know it. But it says, but, there's a transition word, but bring them up in the discipline, ooh, don't like that word, and instruction of the Lord. Now, you look at this and you're like, okay, do not provoke my children to anger. It's really not that big of a deal. This is an incredible deal, and it really was in their culture because when the Apostle Paul is writing this to the church in Ephesus, it was in a Roman-controlled area. And in Roman-controlled areas, they had uh, this thing they called patria potestis. And it literally meant that the father, that the Roman father, had absolute control over their children as long as the father lived. At any moment, a Roman father could enslave his child. In, In any moment, a Roman father could say, you know what? You just really ticked me off for the last time. I'm enslaving you. You're not even my child anymore. You're you're no better than a slave. Because of this, this domination and just such a wrong practice, the Scriptures, I mean, the Scriptures, and we talk about this from time to time, they really elevate the, the position of, of women in the home. But also it elevates the position of children. Because when the Apostle Paul would write this, this would be so countercultural. That, that this, it was so widespread and so known that 
that the Roman fathers dominated their children. Even if, I'll tell you how, how twisted this is, even if that, that the adult child, if, if you can see where I'm going with this, if a child, a father's son, for instance, was 25 years old, and maybe he did incredible things for the Roman Empire, and the Roman Empire gave him all kinds of accolades and rewards. That meant nothing to the father. The father, even if it was the, this, that, that the 25-year-old son could have been recognized publicly, the father did not have to do, it, it didn't even matter to the father. He still had absolute power and authority and control over his kids, even if they were adults. So when the Apostle Paul would write this, Think how countercultural this was. Think how, how angered those children would be. That they would never be able to be their real self. They would never actually be able to grow into maturity, into adulthood. They would never really be recognized as men or women. But when the Apostle Paul says, fathers, fathers and mothers, do not provoke your children to anger. Do you think those kids would have been angry? I mean, they would have been so angry. When the Apostle Paul writes this, this is the exact opposite of the culture that it's written. But if I'm really honest, it's kind of the opposite of ours too. And to kind of illustrate this, I want to quote Tim Elmore from his book, Generation IY, which I would highly recommend to all of you parents. He said this, Kids today are exasperated. Maybe that's what your translation of the Bible says. Mine says anger. He says, kids today are, are angered by abandonment or abundance. These are at war with their maturity. The abandonment and abundance. Now, you, you may sit and look at this and say, well, I mean, that's certainly talking about someone else. And maybe even in your mind right now, maybe you're, you're attributing these values to someone else. But let me just kind of dig a little bit more deeply into the abandonment and abundance. And unfortunately, students, you really need to listen to this because this, these are the conditions of which you're being raised in. These are the condition of which you're being raised in because of the culture that we live in and the nation that we live in and because of the 21st century. The abandonment. Kids today are, are angered by abandonment. I want to break this down into three different ways. There's emotional abandonment. That they've been emotionally abandoned. And men, I, I'm going to be, this, this message is directed towards the Father, so this is going to be very blunt and very pointed toward you in these moments. But your kids could be emotionally abandoned. And maybe the reason why is because you just say, you know what, I'm not comfortable with talking about my emotions. I'm not talking, I'm not comfortable. And just, I just, I, I don't really feel I'm comfortable with that. So you give up that, that role of leader in your home and say, you know what, I'm not going to um, connect emotionally. I'm just going to give that to, to my wife because after all, she's the emotional one anyway, right? So these are things that we tell ourselves and our children can be emotionally abandoned, and what they lack is a true connection with their father. And a father, we can be so deceived and self-deceived into thinking we're doing the right thing because we're, we're passing on that responsibility to our wife, but we, in these moments, we could be abandoning our kids and angering our kids because they want a relational connection, an emotional connection with us. So there's the 
emotional abandonment. And it's awkward. It's hard as men. Because things we don't want to talk about. So then we pass that on to our kids. And then we create that issue in our kids. Then you have, you have boys who think they can't talk about their feelings. You have young ladies who, who have feelings. But yet they don't have any strong male figure in their home to talk with those feelings about. So then they listen to all of their friends. Because their friends will listen to their feelings. Emotional abandonment. Second, spiritual abandonment. Here's how this works. As unfortunate as this is. The spiritual abandonment. The kind of words that go with it are, that's the church's job. That's the youth pastor's job. That's the children's minister's job. That's somebody else's job. And yet, if you're a parent, that's your number one job. So they, they're spiritually abandoned, spiritual abandonment. And that is when we, we give up our responsibility as parents to be uh, the, the spiritual caregivers for our kids. And we kind of check out and we back up and we just say, you know what? Uh, I'm, uh, maybe, it's the, maybe the reason why is because you don't feel like you have anything to add to your kids. Maybe you're intimidated when it comes to spiritual things. That's why the very best gift that you can give your kids is, is a father or mother who's pursuing Jesus. Right, And you don't have to have all the answers. You just have to teach one person the thing that Jesus is teaching you. Maybe that's the reason why you came today. You need to be able to teach your kids the one thing that Christ Jesus is teaching you. Our responsibility. So there's spiritual abandonment. And we fool ourselves into thinking, you know what? I, I, my job is, my spiritual responsibility is to make sure my kids are at church. That's my responsibility. Well, they're here. I bring them to youth group. And yet they're abandoned spiritually because there's something lacking in their life and it's your nourishment and spiritual development into them. And you'll frustrate them. And that spiritual abandonment is at war with their maturity. Lastly, relational abandonment. And men, we, we hide behind these words. I'm the provider. That's my job. And we hide. And we think, you know what? My job is to bring home the money and put it in the bank. And then I can go out and I can go uh, do what I want to do. I can go chase the hobby that I want to chase. I can go hunting. I can go buy this. I can go to the lake. I can, I can go hang out with my friends. I've done my job. And yet they're relationally abandoned. Let me just, I don't, I don't want a sign of hands because I know this is sensitive, but, but out of us adults that are in the room today, how many of the issues in your life go back to being relationally abandoned by your father? How many of the issues of your life could have been resolved if you would have had a father who walked with you relationally through the difficulties of life? How many of those issues would have been resolved if you simply would have had somebody rooting for you the whole way? So for us, we, we have to understand that our kids are, are, are angered. They're going to be frustrated, exasperated when they're abandoned emotionally, spiritually, and relationally. In abundance, the, the way this goes is into immediate gratification 
Immediate gratification. You see, immediate gratification is this. Every time your kids ask you for something, they just pound you. This is what you do. This is what you do. You pound and pound and pound your parents to get them to cave in to say yes. Instead of us parents being strong and saying, you know what? We're going to delay this a little bit. I know if I don't give it to them right now, if I don't give them that little trinket and toy right now, if I don't give them this phone that they want right now, if I don't run to the mall right now, if I don't get them that, those shoes right now, if I, if I just tell them no and maybe have them work for something, if I just simply tell them no and delay it, think how much more it would benefit them. But the tendency is when we anger our kids is we allow our kids to wear us down by asking and asking and asking. And after a while, as soon as the next phone comes out, they automatically have to have that next phone. And that's the abundance. And you may say, well, Pastor, well, how's, how's that causing a war with their maturity? You see, in, in a few years, if you do your job as parents and we release our kids out into the real world, uh, very soon your kids are going to be faced with choices of what are they supposed to have as a priority in their life? And are they going to be prioritizing food or an iPhone 10? or 11, or 12, whatever's out at the time. So by we, when we rather delay gratification, we allow them to think through the process of the things that they buy, what we're doing is we're teaching them things to, to help them to value the right things because when adulthood comes, and we want them to become adults, when adulthood comes, they're going to have to know how to make choices. But if we go in and we cave to their response and we do immediately what they ask us to do, It's a slave-master mentality. We're the slaves. They're the masters. And that's at war with their maturity. So, kids are exasperated or angered by abandonment or abundance. I remember when I got my first car, and everybody knows, everybody remember their first car? Everybody? It's kind of amazing to me nowadays when, when I look at, at like kids' first cars, typically, and it's just, it's just, I think it's a cultural thing. It's like I had some people in the, in the 915, they, they kind of shouted out some things. I said, you know, the kids that cars, excuse me, the cars that kids get nowadays, and somebody said, yeah, it's like a Lexus. I was like, wow, I don't even know what world that is. Like a 16-year-old gets a Lexus, and yet you see it all day. You drive down the road, and you see you know, 16-year-old kids who get, like, $30,000 trucks, and I'm like, wow, like, that, that's not even in my reality whatsoever, and yet I think back to my first car, and I remember that, that my dad gave me very clear instructions on, on my first car. He says, if you want a car, get a job. Like, that was, that was kind of what he put out. It's like, that's cool. You want a car? Get a job. I was like, all right, well, I, I can do this, so I went out and Got a job at McDonald's, and, and I rocked a uniform for a while. And I have this prestigious visor of all time um, that I had to wear, and it was disgusting. But before I had a car, I had a job, and I had to walk to McDonald's. I had to walk of shame, at least I thought. And I had to walk back home from McDonald's. But what it did was it made me really appreciate the day that I got to purchase my car because I had saved up my money, and I saved up my money, and I saved up my money, and I knew what I was saving it for. And all of those things, I didn't like it. I kind of wanted to hide the whole uniform. But, but yet now I sit back as an adult and I say, man, that really benefited me. And more than likely, if you're around my age, 
You probably had a similar experience. And yet our kids today have a different experience. It's for some reason we just give them everything they want as soon as they want. And have you ever thought that the very things that you cave into so easily could be at war with their maturity? I think it can. And I think it is. As this passage continues, it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but, transition word, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I want to kind of take this apart. It says, bring them up. It literally means to look after and care for a child until, finish it for me, if you would please. It, y'all are not a very good choir, but I think I heard it. It is an adult. That means as parents, here's the good news. That means you do the hard work in parenting and you bring them up and you clean their snotty noses and you change their diapers when they're young and you send them off to school and you cry when you put them on the bus in kindergarten and they go out and they make it into first grade and they somehow make it through middle school and you wondered if they would and they make it through middle school and then it's their freshman year and you're like, good grief, I'm old, right? And you make it through that stage and then they graduate and you're like, where have the years gone? And you bring out all these pictures and then at some point after that, then they are to become an adult. That's exciting. No, we don't want them to move back in. If they move back in, you did something wrong. That's the point. Thank you. Something's wrong if they move back in until it is an adult. That means you do the hard work up front and then you kick them out. That's what you do. You kick them out and then you change the locks or move and don't give them the forwarding address. No, you don't do that. I'm just kidding. I love my kids. I love, 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 love my kids. Just trying to be funny. But, but really, you release them into adulthood. That's the goal. Maturity, you release them into adulthood. So that they're not dependent on you. They're just dependent on Jesus. Wow, what a picture. So they're not relying on you. Mom, dad, can I borrow $5? You know, my car payment's due. Yeah. They're not as reliant on you for those material type of needs, but yet they're relying on Jesus. What a picture. You see, when, when we bring them up, we're looking after them, we're caring for them. Child, until... It is an adult. You see, that's the, that's the goal. And, and for you, like I said, I, I absolutely love my kids. I spend a lot of time with my kids, always have. I, I've always made my kids a priority over ministry when I've needed to. And you can ask those who are, who are really close to me. So when I, when I joke around with that, it's, I'm not trying to be callous or, or even careless with my words. My, my life shows something different, and you can ask others to verify it. But I will tell you this. I can't wait for the day. When my kids become adults and they are released out of my home and I can live the rest of my life while my wife and I just pursue Jesus together. And the burdens and responsibilities that come with that side of, of, a, of, of child raising is, is gone and I can just serve Jesus next to my wife and we can just, we can not be as distracted as is what we are right now. I just can't, I can't wait for that. And I want that for you. 
I really do. So we love our kids, but we shouldn't smother our kids. And a little thing I think that's kind of based off of the bring them up is this. Fatherhood is about preparation for adulthood, not protection from adulthood. So many parents that are actually, they are the reason why their kids are not maturing. is because they try and protect them from the evil world that's around and yet, our job is to be preparing them for adulthood. Can I tell you a couple things about your kids? I want to tell you a couple things. Um, there's two generations that are, Generation X is what I am. Um, maybe you are too. And, and I'm not going to give you the timeline, bore you with the details, but there's been two generations after that. Of course, there's the millennials, and there's another generation that, I don't know, they haven't really named it. But, but the millennial generation is, they call it the snowflake generation. They call it the, you know, that's the participation award thing. That's the, the sensitive culture. That's the, I'm so easily offended. You know, there's not a, a tough bone in my body. That's kind of how they get, get categorized. And have you heard of that being called about millennials? Has anyone just shake your head? Yeah. But I want to tell you who's responsible for that. Us. Every generation is a product of the previous generations. I'll say it again. Every generation is a product of the previous generations. So, so the moment that we sit back and we, we watch the news of this generation, it's like, ah, these kids, why are they doing that? It's because our generation has led them to do that. So, so we ought to probably give them a break and do what we're supposed to and trust God with the results. Now, the last generation, the unnamed generation, and, and that would be a lot of our students actually right now in, in the kids' ministry that is booming right now, both of those uh, groups of kids, that, I, that generation is identified with fear. It's fear because all they see is the, the racial unrest in our country. They see the divide between the police and everyone else in our country. And, and they see, they see the, the, the political divide and they see that everything is divided and yet they're afraid of what the future holds. So, so, I want you to think about something. When you go home and you just turn on CNN or Fox or MSNBC, if you watch that news network, there's maybe one of you. Like, if, if you watch any of those things, think about the effect it's having on the next generation because it's creating all sorts of angst and anger in them that, that will be unresolved. It will be unresolved unless you take them by the hand and work it out. Because they, they are, uh, they're watching at all times, so you may be knee-deep in it, and you may not be drawn, uh, you may not be drawn away or, or even corrupted by it, but your kids are getting fear because of it. Think twice before you talk about the things that you talk about. Think twice before you watch the things on TV that you ought to, because what it does, it spurs our children to anger, internal turmoil, and fear. And you will never produce a courageous kid if you're, if you're producing fear in them. The two things are at odds. So fatherhood is about, and really parenting, is about preparation for adulthood, not protection from adulthood. And, and I want to say this. This also is super sensitive, but I, I, I'm going to risk it because the Bible says it. Uh, and if you're offended by it, then you're going to be offended by the Bible and not by me. Um, I, I want 
I don't want to intentionally offend you, but the Bible at times is offensive. And, and I just want you to say, or I want you to get this. Fathers or parents cripple their own efforts when they give way to the cultural pressures of how to discipline kids. You see, that's kind of what's going on in our culture too. There's like the ebbs and flows of we can't parent our kids. We can't, we can't, we can't discipline our kids. So we, we can't discipline our kids. We can't tell our kids that are wrong because they're going to get their feelings hurt. And yet we know that sometimes our kids do dumb things, don't they? Like I did when I was a kid. Do you have perfect kids? Anyone? A lot of no's. All right, good. So we're on the same page. But, but when we cripple our own efforts for having them to pursue Jesus when we give way to the cultural pressures of how to discipline our kids. Because if you listen to everything else in our culture, it's saying, no, your kids are perfect and they're sensitive. They're snowflakes. Be really, really careful in how you discipline them. And I think there's, there's some wisdom in that, but I think it's gone way too far. A verse, actually two verses you can wrestle with. First one is Proverbs twenty two fifteen, and it says this, Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. Folly, it's another word for sin, by the way. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it away. The rod of discipline will drive it away. So sin is bound up in the heart of every child, of your cheering, but the rod of discipline will drive it far away. Another one, Proverbs 13, 24 says this, He who spares the rod, this I'm sure is familiar to you, He who spares the rod hates his son. Strong word. But he who loves him is careful to discipline him. Is careful, not careless. See, the culture that we live in, unfortunately, even the Christian culture, the Christian subculture we live in, they look at this and they say, no, 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 we can't do this anymore. This is out of date. This this doesn't take into account the, the days of which we live. Look at what that verse says says to be careful to discipline them. To be careful, not careless. See, we should discipline accordingly. Discipline according to the Word of God. You see, a child who respects authority and accepts responsibility is much more likely to seek Jesus for forgiveness. So true. A child who respects authority, that means they did something wrong, you have to... You have to discipline them. That means you're asserting yourself as the authority figure. And if they learn that, that respect, but then also they accept the responsibility for what they did, they are much more likely to then seek Jesus for forgiveness. You see, if we don't do that, then we, if, if, rather, if we discipline our kids in the way that the Word of God says, even if it's uncomfortable, but we're careful in our discipline, just like it says on the screen, what we do is then we create, uh, we create an understanding in them that they, that they do sometimes fail. Then you have an opportunity to teach them about the grace of God. You have an opportunity to then teach them about, about sin and the, and the effects of sin. You have the opportunity to tell them about the great forgiveness of sin that's offered up through Jesus Christ our Lord. But if you don't discipline them, you will raise prideful, arrogant, and know-it-all kids who can't be taught a thing and who will not honor authority. It's just, it's a hard word, but it's so true. So the discipline is there that we need to be careful to discipline. 
There's a spiritual aspect of this I just told you about, but also a very practical aspect. And I understand that, that it's, you're probably not comfortable even talking about it. But the Bible talks about it, so I have to talk about it. If you were to sum up, I think, this, this passage, it would be this. Bringing your children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord is the highest priority of a parent. It's the highest priority of a parent. Not the trips you could take your kids on. Not the little trinkets and toys you can buy for them. Not how much money you're going to spend on them at Christmas and birthday. Not, uh, not protecting them from difficult situations. They need some difficult situations. We're going to talk about that in a minute. It's not which cell phone they want and how quickly you can buy it for them. But the highest priority of a parent is bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. They will live a life of less regret. They will live a life of courage and strength in the Lord. They will then be equipped to go out and face the difficulties of life. You're actually training them for the future. Now, I, I want to give you five, five kind of phrases to take home with you today. And they're not going to be on the screen. I apologize for that. So if you want to write them down, you can. If you just want to listen, you can. That's great. I want to give you these five things kind of quickly as, as we're winding down this talk on, on Father's Day. The first one is this. And these are so obvious, by the way. Talk over the issues of adulthood you wish someone had told you about. Remember when you were becoming an adult? And there were things you really wished you knew. And, and you kind of just got thrown into the fire of adulthood. Like I so wish that my parents would have told me how hard it was going to be. Because when Marla and I first got married, I was an E1, which meant that I don't even know if I made money. I think they just took my money in time. Like we were so broke. And, and so we lived in a one-bedroom apartment. We only had one piece of furniture, really, and it was... $100 kitchen table and chairs for pick and save, I think, is the cheapest thing of all time. And, and then our couch was the nastiest couch, a used couch. And it was, it, it, my wife reminded me during the 915 that it was actually held up with a can of green beans on one side. Um, anyone, just, has anyone else had furniture that's been held up by canned goods? Yeah, good. I'm not alone. Sweet. So, so it, that, that worked for a long time until we moved, and I realized that it had a hole punched in it. And then it was even more gross than it was to begin with. Um, so that was how we kind of grew up. We didn't even have end tables. We literally used the same cardboard boxes that we moved in with, except put tablecloths over them. We just called those end tables. That's how we started. I really wish somebody would have said, you know what? Your early days are going to be really, really hard. But I looked at everything my parents had, and I said, well, good grief. I want that. I want that. That's something I wish my parents would have told me about adulthood. I'm sure your list is really long. The second one is this, when it comes to parenting and fathers to your kids. Allow them to attempt things that stretch them. Even let them fail. Put them in situations where they're stretched. Even at times, let them fail. And when they fail, you teach them resilience. You teach them of the grace of God. You teach them that, you know what? Sometimes you fail and you can get right back up and it's no big deal. 
We all go through failures. Third thing, discuss future consequences if they fail to master certain disciplines. And here's where I want to talk about the instruction of the Lord. I want to break this down to two different things. The students heard this all week long. And parents, you need to be reminded of this too. The the instruction of the Lord. And when it comes to the disciplines, you need to teach your kids the future consequences if they have not mastered some certain disciplines. And I would say spiritual disciplines of the instruction of the Lord. And one is prayer, and the second one is time spent in the Word of God. Parents, I want to ask you a couple questions, not to make you feel bad, but to make you think and to maybe make you to challenge the very way that you're parenting right now. Okay, you ready? When is the last time you've actually prayed with your kids? When's the last time? That's part of the instruction of the Lord. Remember, we talked about, what did we talk about all week long? Bible, prayer, scripture, prayer, scripture. So when's the last time you've actually prayed with your kids? I mean, let's get real. When's the last time that you discussed scripture together? When's the last time? When's the last time? You see, when when we kind of, create these these opportunities to speak what you're doing is you're building bridges of trust you're coming together under the word of god that you're both experiencing you're all experiencing at the same time you're building a bridge of trust between you and them and in that process you can talk about the future consequences if they fail to master those certain disciplines what happens it, and I'm sure there's the same of my life and yours. What happens in those moments when you're not, when you haven't read the word of God and you haven't prayed like you ought to? What has happened in those situations? How have you felt? How's your emotional state been? How's your spiritual state been? Explain that to your kids. Fourth thing. This maybe is the most important, I don't know. But aid them in matching their strengths with the real world problems. Aid your kids, help them, help point out their strengths and then show them how those strengths then could help alleviate some real world problems. I think that's one of the the ways that we instruct in the Lord is to help them identify those gifts and their strengths and say, man, this is what you're really good at. And and you could you could leverage this for the kingdom of God. And there is a real world problem that could be resolved if you simply use your gift. And the last one is this, celebrate progress, any progress they make towards maturity and responsibility. Celebrate any progress they make towards maturity and responsibility. And and students, your job is to show yourself worthy of being trusted. That's your job. Show your parents that you're worthy of being trusted. Do your part. The fathers, we have to lead in this. We can't let our wives lead in this. We can't just let your pastor lead in this. We can't just let our kids say, well, however they turn out, they turn out. We have to lead in this. Fathers, we need to be on the forefront of this. We have to say, you know what? My home is going to be an outpost for the, for the kingdom of God. That's what it's going to be, and I'm going to lead it. I'm going to lead in the discipline of my kids. I'm going to lead in the, the training 
in the instruction of my kids. And I'm going to make sure as best as I possibly can can that my kids are not going to be angered either by my abundance or my abandonment. And I am going to lead well as, as I follow Jesus. I'm going to bring them up to follow Jesus. We do this. And I want to end with, with this quote from someone by the name of Edgar Guest, written over a century ago. And let this be an encouragement to you as it, as it is to me. Only a dad with a tired face coming home from the daily race, bring little of gold or fame to show how well he has played the game, but glad in his heart that his own rejoice to see him come and to hear his voice. Only a dad with a brood of four, one of 10 million men or more, plodding along in the daily strife, bearing the whips and the scorns of life, with never a whimper of pain or hate for the sake of those who at home wait. Only a dad, neither rich nor proud, merely one of the surging crowd, toiling, striving from day to day, facing whatever may come his way, silent whenever the harsh condemn, and bearing it all for the love of them. Only a dad, but he gives his all to smooth the way for his children small, doing with courage stern and grim the deeds of his father, the deeds that his father did for him. This is the line for him I pen, only a dad, but the best of men. The best of men. Man, I want that set of us. Men. I want that to be, to be our legacy. I want my grandkids to be able to point to a life that I courageously lived for Jesus. And I want them to go back and I want them to see that and I want them to glorify Jesus. But I want it to go back and say, you know what? My dad wasn't perfect, but my dad loved Jesus and he loved me. Let's do that. Let's do that. Let's do that together. Let's take up the call together. Let's be the men of God that he's made us to be. Let's be the fathers who makes a difference in the world. Let's be the fathers who don't abandon or who don't just provide abundance. But let's be the fathers who embrace our children to say, you know what? I am going to be the one who is the spiritual leader in my home no matter what. Let that be said of us. Let that be said of us starting today. In Jesus' name, amen. Have a great rest of your day.